Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. This week's show was recorded just days ago, live, at the now infamous CISO XC conference in Dallas-Fort Worth. Chris Roberts came out from Colorado, and he brought his traveling whiskey collection. Everyone on stage may or may not have imbibed a bit. And Chris even joins us on stage halfway through the show. As with all shows featuring Chris, there is some naughty language, and I've had to check the E for explicit box on this episode. You've been warned. I'll let the live show take over from here. It's a fantastic conversation with two guests on can we even measure cybersecurity risk. Y'all enjoy. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to yet another live edition of the Cyber Ranch Podcast, here live at CISO XC in the Dallas-Fort Worth community. I'm your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO of Alan Alford Consulting, and with me today is Andy Ellis. Now, Andy, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Andy here. First of all, he's the CISO at Orca. Second of all, he's an operating partner at YL Ventures. Third of all, he used to be the CISO at Akamai. Fourth of all, he's written a book. Andy, what's the name of your book? 1% Leadership. Master the small daily improvements that set great leaders apart. There we go. 1% Leadership. So listen, the topic today, y'all, is can we even measure risk? Nope. Now you can all go off to drinking. Can we measure risk? This is an important topic. Let's dive in. So boards think in terms of risk, material risk. Yep. One of our goals as cybersecurity practitioners is to articulate cybersecurity risk in terms that the board will understand. Yep. All right. Given all this, we've come up with a number of ways to measure risk over the years. Some good, some bad, some partial, some full. CVSS, for example, or the Common Vulnerability Scoring System, is designed to measure vulnerabilities, not risk, but it does speak to various specific and concrete measures of likelihood, for example. Yep. All right. Then we have FAIR. The Factor Analysis of Information Risk Method. It provides detailed tools for figuring out both likelihood and impact yep. in, a, in an organized manner uh, aligned with the business, right? Yep. So it seems to me that risk is measurable. Now, Drew Brown, who has yep. held, hang on now, Drew Brown's been on the show, former guest of mine. He is a FAIR advocate, and he's not a FAIR advocate in the sense of actually being a part of or working with the FAIR Institute. He is literally just a dude that uses FAIR in the field. And we did a whole show on fair from the trenches. Yep. And is it working for him or is it not? He admitted that he left some stuff on the table, but at the end of the day, he believes in it. He uses it and he uses it to measure and report risks. So obviously you're saying no. What's your take? So look, let's start with CVSS because you started there. The best trick CVSS ever pulled was letting people think it was a detailed analysis system. It's not. It's like check seven toggles, high, medium, or low, and it spits out a number for you. But the cool thing about that number is it has decimal places. Like it this is an 8.32. When I used to say this is a high risk, people would be like, well, is that high? I think that's medium. When I say it's an 8.32, they're like, ah, oh, dang, I don't want to spend enough time trying to figure out how you calculated that to figure out if it's really a 7.68. Right. Right. So, but the advantage of CVSS is it's just a number. It's a number from zero to 10. And no, there are not even a thousand different possible scores in CVSS. In reality, there's about 38 that get used all the time. So we could literally just stack rank risks like the top 38 
Because look, a click to own vulnerability is a click to own vulnerability. They all look the same. Okay, so fair enough. That's there's that challenge. But here's the reality of risk is there's two types of risks. One are societal actuarial risks. Okay. And one are deeply personal. Now, societal actuarial risks, like we can measure those. We can say the likelihood that a random car will be in a car accident tomorrow is X because we have this beautiful set of data. But look, we have to also understand that sometimes the environment changes and those rates are going to change, but we get to detect them at a societal level. In fact, here's some really cool things. If you look at the NHTSA data, National Highway Transportation Safety Administration, what you see is that over time, the likelihood of car fatalities for the driver, this is what's the best part about it. The driver, basically continuous year over year, like 4% risk reduction, likelihood of fatality based on miles driven until about 2018. Okay. What and changed? in 2018, it starts to go back up again. What changed? I think it's Waze and Uber, but I don't know for sure. But certainly that's the closest thing that I can see, this adoption that okay. changes driving patterns. Okay. But here's what's fascinating. You can take that number and say, but what is the likelihood that Alan is going to get into a car accident? Well, that's a highly personal thing. Right. Right. And the reason that your insurance carrier will sell you insurance is not because they think you are a good driver. It's just that they have metrics across a whole population. And right. the risk that they get it wrong on you is offset by the risk they get it wrong on a different direction on someone else. Right, right. So they're like, looking at overall swaths yeah. of population and actuarial data is very much aggregate data. Aggregate data for things that happen at a regular frequency. But okay. we see the problems with like flood data that people talk about 100-year flood zones. And then if a 100-year flood zone gets a flood like three times in 50 years, the insurance companies are all screwed. Right. And they They'll quit it calling it a 100-year flood zone and start calling it a 30-year flood yeah, zone. Yeah, that's a 30-year flood. That's how they well, make their adjustments. Now it's a 25-year flood. Like, that's, we don't that's know. That's what they do. I, I lived in a 100-year that got flooded but twice, and they the literally problem, changed the stat. Yeah, the real problem I have is when you think about the, the risk measurement, people always want to come back to dollars. Like, right. we had somebody earlier today talk about a $44 million risk. Right. Right? So my first question is, what is a $44 million risk? Is that $44 million a year? Because if you have a CISSP, you learned how to calculate annualized loss expectancy. Right. And you have something like, oh, the $44 million a year risk. Well, is that, um, if it's happening every year and you assume a 10% discount rate, that's really a $440 million risk you're carrying at net present value. Yeah. Or have you already done that calculation? It's really a $4.4 million risk a year. Yeah. Or is it not even an every year risk? It's an every 10 year risk. In which case, how do you know? Because I am pretty sure the things that are breaking companies today were on nobody's radar 10 years ago. Right. So we're taking this expectation that people can make really good guesses about the future and about likelihood and probability. Okay. And turn those into dollars. I am going to counter that. I'm glad you said people making educated guesses, right? Yep. Because now we're talking about mathematical models. I had Rich Sireson on my show a while back. Yep. He's the author of How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk and the Metrics Manifesto Confronting Security with Data. He has mathematical proof, mathematical proof that a Monte Carlo simulation taking the best guess of a whole bunch of people is going to actually end up being more correlated with the real world scenario that played out than a lone individual guess. In yep. other words, there are mathematical models that can take educated guesses 
and upscale their efficacy. Yep, it's known as uh, wisdom of the crowd. Sometimes known as a Fermi problem or a Fermi solution. Mm-hmm. Bayesian uh, math does it too. Yep. And so the the challenge. So these are actually I love these approaches, right? In fact, it's one of my favorite things. Anybody who's ever been through a leadership course, like in the U.S. Air Force, we did this as cadets, where they basically put you at a table and they're like, "You have just been in a plane crash in the Alaskan wilderness." And there are 15 items on this plane that you can recover. Please rank order them in terms of which one will be the most important. So number them one through 15. I don't know if anybody in our audience has done that, but if you're remote, you've done it. And then you're all supposed to do it individually. And then you're supposed to, as a group, figure out what's the best answer. And it turns out that get rid of the group because people suck at making decisions together. I don't normally say people suck ever. The best thing to do is to take everybody's answers, average them, and go with that. It's actually usually a better outcome than letting the group decide. But a Monte Carlo sim has been proven to be more mathematically accurate than averaging. But it's but like everything else, it's all about the inputs that you have put into them. Yep. And if your inputs aren't correct and aren't valid, you're going to have challenges. Okay. And so I'm fine. I'm not saying you can't use these as ways to do estimations if I want to look at what might possibly happen, which way an adversary might go. These are some fantastic tools. But to come down, you have to measure risk. And so we keep talking about measuring risk. Yep. So are you measuring it in dollars? Because I'm pretty sure that I watch risk get measured by CFOs and they don't talk about dollars. Like you go read a board's 10K, like company publishes a 10K and they do not put a dollar number next to those risks. They say these are the existential threats to the business, and they leave no it at dollar that dollar number. There, they leave it at that. When the CFO says, "Hey, foreign exchange might be a problem for us in the next quarter," they're not putting a specific dollar number on it. Now, they might say, "Well, if it shifts by two percent in this direction, that's going to be an EPS hit of zero of uh, one cent. If it shifts by four, that's two cents." Right? They're going to give you some way to at least measure what those are, but they're not going to sit here and say. Our blended average prediction of the risk to the EPS is 0.0178 cents, and we have baked that number in. No, they're going to give you a range of some outcomes and a feel for likelihood. Right, right, right. But they're not measuring the risk at the end. Right, right. Right? And that's reasonable. And I was going to ask about the insurance industry actuarial tables. These guys make profits off of the accuracy of their tables. But but to your point, that's a broad population swath. I guess that's, that's argument number one against it. But I still can't help but feel like, the first actuarial table, I don't know if folks know this, the first actuarial table came out in 1862. That's how long that's been around. Yep. You want to talk about math that's been refined, statistics and data that have been hammered on and updated and every year retouched and repolished. Insurance companies live or die by their actuarial tables, and they generally live. So first thing to recognize is insurance companies actually live or die by their investments. Because most insurance companies are investing your premiums. They're banks. And they are subsidizing your payouts with the payout of their investment. Yeah, fair enough. The second thing is they don't live and die by the value of their actuarial table. They live and die by the fine print of the contract. Right? What do they actually cover? Anybody who lives in California and been through an earthquake knows exactly what gets covered because earthquake insurance is very sketchy. Yeah. Um, it's mandated. Here's exactly what has to be covered. And that's all they're going to cover. Yep. Right. And so yep. that's how insurance companies protect themselves. And so it's different. Like you can do things with actuarial tables where you have actuarial risk. If fraud's a problem for your business, you have an actuarial problem. You're getting hit a thousand times a day by fraudsters. Great. 
This is an actuarial thing. You can measure how much it is costing your business. And it's not a prediction. It's a statement, right? So it is descriptive, which is what actuarial tables are. Okay. That that's used as if they were predictive. That's but fair. They're not predicting they're descriptive. From whole they're plot. not predictive. That's fair. It's like, that's how's fair. this? Uh, you're, are you a fan of the Dallas Cowboys? We're, we're no, here in I've, Dallas, been, I've been so. known to cheer on a Dallas okay. Cowboys game. So there's a ton of people who give you very descriptive predictions about you know, how the Cowboys are looking this year, right. which actually seems to be pretty good, except for that other team in the NFC East. Well, I'll be polite and not name here. Right. But would you say that you can predict the outcome of this weekend's game that the Cowboys are in? Of course not. Of course right. not. But we have we have more data about that than yeah. we have about adversaries breaking into your environment. Now, now this this brings up a whole other sidebar that I'm going to very quickly get into, which is the rat hole of horse and dog track betting. Mm -hmm. Horse and dog track betting, you don't care who the winner is going to be. You don't care who the strongest dog is. That's not even a relevant data. All you're trying to do is match your predictive math against their predictive math exactly. and win the game that way, right? Yep. That's That's how horse track and dog track betting works. And back in the 60s, my dad actually on the mainframes wrote a software back when the dog tracks didn't have software, furnished our entire house off of dog track. Just yep. all he had to do was be 1% more accurate than them. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's if you look at how Vegas works, right? Vegas is only betting against the people, right? The, the line moves because all that they want to have is balanced money. Right. Right. They're just, they're operating on the float. And, you know, the thing that Vegas is terrified of is somebody who is overconfident in some direction and yeah. convinces a bunch of people, and now the, the line is unbalanced. Right. And they got like 80% of the money on one side, even with you know somebody giving seven points. Right. Like, that's risk for them. Right. Like, even if they're like, why are we giving seven points? This should only be three. Well, there's enough money over there. Let's bump it up to 10. Right, right. As soon as more influx comes in, the they side. shift the odds. That's the whole nature of the game. All right, Chris Roberts. Is Chris Roberts in the house? Ladies and gentlemen, at the back of the room, Chris Roberts, somebody throw a rock at him. Chris Roberts. Do you see Chris? Because I don't I see I know him. he's got some uh, interesting Bring opinions. Bring us some whiskey, Chris. And some, and some hot takes on risk. And some hot takes on risk, indeed. So while Chris is uh, pouring a hopefully Nika coffee grain. This is the perfect time for our over-the-top Texas-style commercial from our sponsor. Howdy, y'all. Asset management for IT and security sure ain't easy. And our networks are fixing to get more complex. But I reckon there's a better way of doing things. And it starts with Axonius. Axonius helps you lasso everything in your environment. Devices, users, software, and more. To provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and automate action. You want a free walkthrough of the platform? Head on over to axonius.com slash get dash a dash tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash a dash tour. So, I mean, the thing that to, to remember, whenever if you ever want to use a tool, and risk measurement is a tool, and if it works for you, great. It might be a bad tool that's working for you, is what's going to happen three years later? Nika, they still need bloody Nika. Oh, apparently we are getting the second best whiskey that Chris has, because uh -huh. everybody else drank the first best whiskey. Ronald Eddings, I see you trying to leave the room after drinking my whiskey. We're going to have some words later. Say hi to Monica for We've got an eye on you. Thank you, sir. Why don't you come sit on stage with us, Chris? Chat about risk. Chris is going to join us now. Chris is the CISO of Boom Supersonic. Chris Roberts, <laughs> welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. All right, so what's your take on all this? Can we measure risk? Oh. All right, so I've got two folks saying we simply can't do it and a whole industry telling me I'm supposed to. Talk to me. All right, so 
uh, where do we start with this? I think we start with this with, with, with the conversation, which is people keep wanting a number. Yep. Yes. Everybody wants a number. Yes. Everybody wants to put it, everybody wants to basically pin risk down mm-hmm. and quantify it. Yes. Well, let's face it, the world doesn't stay stable. So that's the first challenge that we have. Secondarily, we all measure things differently. I'm sorry. Secondarily, I can't tap tables. I'm not allowed to swear on this, am I? If you can I say, swear. You can oh, swear. I can. Yeah, you can. You can. Oh, for fuck's sake, this is going to be fun. E-box. <laughs> Chris now says sit on his hands, but he is allowed to curse. So Ladies and gentlemen, Chris fucking Roberts. <laughs> okay, I mean, it's okay. So here for me is the challenge is a couple of different things. Um, things change. Everything, I mean, we're, we are not in an environment, we're not in a stable environment. We can quantify risk when it comes to certain things. Getting out of bed has a risk associated with it. Yep. Getting into a car. This is why we can quantify that way. But for me, it's a probability conversation. Yep. I can quantify probability much more accurately than I can quantify risk. Right. That's how I would look at it. So if right. you come to me and say, what is the probability of something occurring? I will give you a number. I know the probability of the sun coming up tomorrow is 99.9998. Right. Shit happens. The sun might not come up for a variety of different reasons, but therefore, for all of those other reasons, it will. Now, risk yeah, there's a risk it won't come up, but I can't put a number on the stupid thing. I can probabilitize it, but I can't do anything else to it. Right. And the challenge with numbers is you don't know what those units are. Take the, the Harvard Bridge in Boston, Massachusetts. What's its length? 364.4 smoots and one ear. <laughs> okay. Because there was a fraternity tasked with their hazing of their, of their uh, pledges was go measure the Harvard Bridge. So they measured it by laying... Mr. Smoot, one of the freshmen, end to end, the length of the bridge. But what? how meaningful is that as a metric? That said, it is worth noting that Mr. Smoot later became uh, a member of the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Smoot is? Smoot is. Smoot, Smoot is now is. there. He's now a standard. That's awesome. I'm sure internally at, at NES there. But like, a it's just a number. Here's the other problem. Here's the other problem. Again, everybody has their, I'm trying not to eat the microphone, but I'm going to eat the You're stupid fine. thing. Everybody has their way. And I think this is, in our industry, we've all got our little fiefdoms. Yep. You know, NIST measures it one certain way. ISO yep. comes out and wants to measure it a different way. If you go to the PCI route, they want to measure something different. You go right. to the hip of the fuck and the Everybody's right. got the little fiefdom and everybody's, it, it's no different. I mean, you're talking to somebody who's a bloody foreigner in this country. Yeah. I know my size and my height in feet and inches. The UK ended up going centimeters and meters. I'm like, what the hell's a bloody centimeter and a meter for crying out loud? Even I know my height in centimeters and meters. I'm I 192. Are you taller than I am? I think I'm like right? 180 something. Shorty. <laughs> so, so it gets interesting to me because it's not just about the frameworks and the external entities. Even within our own methodology, ignore anyone's formal guidance and just look at what we do as CISOs. Look at all the CISOs you know. Some people do five by five. Yeah. Oh. Ordinal, where the highest score is a 10. Five plus five is 10. Some do five by five multiplicative where the highest score is a 25. What? Same chart. Same here's, chart. So here's what I love. And doing. then others. Show me your doing... five by five and show me how many of those cells are empty. Right. <laughs> right. Because let's just be really honest, whether it's a five by five or a nine by nine or three by three. Yeah. You really have this one corner that says high probability, high risk. That's number one. Right. And low probability, low risk. That's number nine or 25 or yep. whatever you order. And everything else is. I wasn't confident about what I was doing. Like sometimes you have the low probability, high damage, or the high probability, low damage. So your corners are interesting and everything else is, Yeah, I refuse to assert. Like right. we literally had this for our very first incident management when we said in the opening moments of an incident, it is either toxic, it is trivial, 
or it's intermediate. We don't yet know. But everything is either toxic or trivial. Right. And that middle category is literally us saying we don't know enough to predict it yet. Right. But instead we have this like five by five matrix. So That's we a have... fair statement, by the way. Yeah. To say up front, I don't know. I'm, I'm giving it an I don't know yet. Yeah. That's a perfectly acceptable risk measurement in my book. Yep. I don't know yet. We'll find out. Right? Yep. In fact, that was one of the acceptable responses when you were a cadet. I do not know, but I, I will find out. I'll go find out. I exactly. do not know, sir, but I will find out, sir. Yeah, that's fair. All right, so let's step back a little bit here. If the boards are insisting that we measure it, if the frameworks are insisting we can measure it, if our own methodologies of five-by-fives and whatever else are telling us we can measure it, there's, there's a mass delusion going on here. Yep. How do we get past the mass delusion? What do we do? to effectively communicate the value of our practice as a CISO versus the risk that we know is there, how do we demonstrate that in a meaningful way if we can't really measure the risk? So, so I think two really important things here. The first one is to recognize that, in fact, there's a fantastic organ that humans have for measuring risk. It's called our gut. Oh, I like, like it. Humans are really good at looking at a risk and quickly putting it into a box and saying, do I need to worry about this? Like, we literally, we have evolved this skill. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you had to know, do, that grass moving, is that a jaguar about to eat me or not? Right, the lizard brain. And like, we are fantastic at pattern matching and saying, this matters and this doesn't matter. Yeah. So once you recognize that, and you recognize also that risk is never being eliminated. Yeah. Like, you can go eliminate yeah. a risk, yeah. but risk as a whole, in fact, it's pretty much constant. Yeah. Like humans love to take risk. Like if you don't take risk, well, you didn't get out of bed this morning and you're not listening to this podcast. I'm going to argue that every business and business exists exist. solely because of risk. Yes. The whole point is we don't know if the market wants a blah, blah, blah. We're going to make a blah, blah, blah and hope like hell the market wants it. Yeah. And we're going to th- business. Business is risk. Yeah. And we're going to think that we made right wiser choices than our competition did. Right. So if that's we're, we're what back to the dog track exists yeah. to do is to take risk and to take it more wisely than the competition, Mm -hmm. that then makes it really easy for a CISO. What is our job? To enable the business to take wiser risk choices. Yeah. Because the human gut is fantastic at making decisions that it has a framework to approach. Okay. And so our job is to provide that better framework and provide more information. So we're going to use the AGI method, the Andy's Gut Index. Okay. All right. AGI, Andy's Gut Index. You're still having to communicate at least at, at a broad stroke level when you talk about it with other entities, be it the board, be it your peers, be it the business unit that needs to get off their butt and do something about it, whatever it might be. You're still having to sort of say like, big risk, bad, make gooder, you know? Yeah. like. So, so here's, here's my take. The risks that you're going to talk about at the board are all in the same category. Material. Important enough to matter for the board. Material. Um. But hopefully not catastrophes because you've already dealt with those. Yeah. Right. 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 But you're only going to talk about one category of risk. So you have to figure out what are your categories. Okay. And I'm a big fan of what I call the pyramid of pain. And basically it is your little nine box or your five, five by five box. And it's just rotated 45 degrees. Okay. But what I'm going to use for damage is incident severity. So I'm going to take any scenario that I'm going to create and I'm going to say, how bad is the incident that comes out of this? Mm Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to take the scenario and say, how plausible is it? 
That's my measurement of probability. Plausibility. 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 I like and it. I've got, and here are my real simple categories right. for plausibility. Right. I got five of them. So I'm going to be a five by five matrix. You know, number one is repeating. It is happening to us on a regular basis. Like, right. therefore, I, I don't have to score this one. Like, I have this incident. It's regular. It's going on. Right. Great. That's my highest level. I like it. My second highest level, I like to say expected. Um, unfortunately, the board will freak out if you use that word. So maybe just call it plausible, which is basically I like expected. everybody we talk to can't give us a reason why this isn't happening right now. Mm-hmm. Like, it should be happening. We're surprised it isn't happening. And nobody will be surprised if it happens tomorrow. Right. Now, our next three categories are surprising, and it's mildly surprising, surprising, and very surprising. Okay. And you That's literally fair. put people into boxes, Yeah. and it's whether or not they're surprised. So mildly surprising is when the only people who are going to be surprised are the gullible, naive folks in your company. We tend to call them product managers. Oh. Um, they have to- Shots like, fired. They are paid to believe that they're going to succeed. And therefore, they're the first ones who get surprised by bad stuff happening. Great. Like, but you should recognize that as a security professional, that that's what they're paid for. They're not incentivized to worry about really esoteric risk. Right. Right. So when they get surprised, but nobody else would be surprised. Great. That's mildly surprising to the business. Yep. Yep. The middle category is basically everybody who's indeterminate. So most business folks will fall into the intermediate. And the very surprising are your paranoid folks, mostly the security professionals. Yep. And so here's what, what are you saying? Re- what do you mean? Yeah. yeah. What are you talking about? Here's, here's what's really good about this one, which is that when that business person who's not the security person says, oh, I find this very surprising. You should need to put in very surprising. You get to say, you're not allowed to ever put something in very surprising. Only the security folks can do that. Because nice. that's how we, where we put the things nice. that okay. you find surprising, but we don't. Okay. goes okay. above that. And so this is really nice. It gives you a five by five, but you're ignoring half of it. Plausibility. And because it's on its side, you basically take your your severity zero, the disastrous vulnerable problems yeah. that are happening right now. That's your tier zero vulnerabilities or tier zero risks. Yeah. Like you just have to fix those immediately. Like that's just the definition of a severity zero problem is it is business altering. Yeah. It's the worst things you have, nobody yeah. actually even puts them truly on there. Material. Yeah. Those are truly, truly material, material incidents. Like your incident management form doesn't even include a level for that severity. Nice. Right? Okay. Great. Always fix your tier zeros before you talk about your tier ones. Right. Then talk about your tier ones. Either it's a severity one incident that's already happening, or it's a severity zero thing that you all find plausible. Great. Go fix those. Okay. If you have tier zeros or tier ones in your organization, you do not need to do any form of risk management because the risk is beating you over the face. Yeah, right. It's true. Where right. you need to yeah. start doing yeah, yeah. it. And where most companies are going to operate is tier two, yep. which is you have a lot of problems in tier two. And guess what? They all need to be fixed. Getting trapped into an yeah. argument about which one you should fix first right. is a sucker's bet. Right. Don't right. do it. Like, you don't care. If I've got 20 tier twos, I'm going to go to an engineering manager and I'm going to say, hey, Chris, I got four things you could go fix instead of looking at your phone right now. Go fix one of my problems. But guess what, Chris? Here's what the four of them are. Which one do you want to fix? I don't care. Like, now he has to pick one. And guess what? He never gets to say Andy told him. Right. He's going to say he picked this one. He says zero. Yeah. No, he's going to pick one of them. And now it's his initiative. Right. Because right. he knows more about what's easy to fix than I do. Right. And that's right. what we're doing with risk measurement 
is we're trying to help people prioritize. What do I fix? So That's it. That's let's the goal. skip the hassle of fighting yeah. over it yeah. and say, what do you want so to fix? Fun. Like we've pre-filtered down to a set of good work and there's right. so much good work to do, let's see. whichever seems actionable. All right, Mr. Roberts, what's your take on this? I, I'm going to simplify it because I've walked into a number of companies and we've had these conversations. And uh, to me, it's a simple conversation. How can I kill your company? Give me 24 hours. How am I going to kill your organization? Uh, the breach and attack simulation approach. Uh, I, the pre-mortem approach. Uh, yeah, it's actually, it's like, and, yeah, and, and it's the really interesting. Perspective. Because you'll get everybody on the manufacturing side of the world go, well, hang on, if you throw a handful of sand in there, it takes everything down. Right. You get the finance folks to go, hey, if the market crashes, it takes everything down. You get the IT and the infosec folks to go, well, hang on, A, B, C, and D here. Right. And it's a really interesting set of conversations. Oh, there we go. Interesting. I love this. We yep. All right, hang on. Andy's got yeah. another book quote. Andy's got a book quote. Create safety to let people warn you of danger. Chapter yeah. 39, which talks about Gary Klein's pre-mortems. Love it. That's awesome. All yeah. right. And that's and it's amazing how the conversations open up inside an organization yeah. just from one sentence. And it's an attacker perspective, which is honestly, anytime we talk about risk, it's really them we're talking about and not mm -hmm. us, right? Yeah. Because to quantify risk from a strictly defense perspective to me is to... Talk about what you're going to do, not what is. Well, it's, it's a way to get bike shedded. I don't know if you're familiar with bike shedding, but we'll explain it for the listeners. Let's imagine that you want to build a nuclear power plant in your backyard. Yes. And you got to go to before zoning and like air, all your neighbors are going to show up to criticize your plans. Now you're going to add a bike shed to your nuclear power plant. Right. <laughs> Everybody is an expert on bike sheds. And they will spend all of the available time arguing about the bike shed that you're going to put on your nuclear power plant. And at some point, you agree to give them whatever they would like on the bike shed. Yeah. Sleight yeah. of hand. Right? You're Sleight wasting of all Deception. of their available time. That's it. So risk scoring is a way of the business convincing us to waste all of our valuable time. If we're talking with executives, and it is not about how do we fix risk, but it's like this year-long exercise to prioritize and score that's a year in which we're not getting better as a business yeah i like it all right chris what's your take no i like it i, mean, that's, I love the bike setting approach because you see that so often just in yeah i mean we do it in security all the time right it's that sleight of hand yeah i it's mean it's also really, called really nerd sniping yeah yep. oh, yeah oh so much fun yeah <laughs> no i like that it's um you know for me it all comes down to the conversations again you know for you guys i mean i started off a boom First question that got asked to me by the board was how are you gonna you know, how are you gonna protect us? And I'm like, I'm not. Right. And if I ever promise I can do that, then then you need to get rid of me. Yep. But what I am gonna do is gonna help you understand basically probabilities. I'm gonna help you understand where and why and how I can hurt you. And we're gonna work on basically how to actually mitigate those. I'm never gonna take anything away. Exactly to your point. Yep. You can't remove it. I I can't fix the unknowns. But what I can do is basically put something in place to help you understand what happens if and what happens when. Right. Right. And if I was the bad guy, here's what I would. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And absolutely. Then, and then one thing you can do, which I think most CISOs miss, which is when you have a near miss, mm. celebrate it. Yeah. Yes. Like you have yes. an incident yes. and it didn't go badly because you had some control and somebody else put it in. Then you're like, hey, Cecil, I'm going to go talk about you in front of the board because I'm going to say that this control saved the company. And your team was responsible for rolling it out last year. Go we, Cecil. We just did that. We actually just did that inside of our place. I got a, yep. I think I talked about it on stage early. We had somebody actually lost a machine. Yep. And the nice thing about it is nobody had to get up in the middle of the night because it was encrypted. Nobody had to do too much crazy stuff because we had Octa and we had multi-factor. Nice. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? The conversation then went to who runs the IT department to go, 
thank you. Right. And so what it does is yeah. it communicates to your board and your executives that you have a good security program because you had a system in place. Because but more you importantly, had... it communicates to your stakeholders that you will celebrate their victories. Yes. And that's how you build relationships. Ah, you said stakeholders. I'm going to say in that case, stakeholder isn't the right word. The right word is really partner. Partners because at, at, the, at the end yeah. of the day, oh, yeah. what you're really saying is we kicked security ass today. Yeah. I can say yeah, ass. It's upon We're the checking thing. the E-box. And again, e for explicit, we're checking that box. It's also nice when it's actually across borders as well, because then you've got the IT folks looking yes. at the security oh, folks, looking at the engineering yep. folks, and everybody's like, hey. hell out of R&D. Praise yeah. the hell out of IT. Exactly. Every chance I get to celebrate some other departments or organizations' positive movement in security, I will bang that drum as loud as I can bang. Because yep. here's time. the important thing to remember, which is every time you take away risk from the business, they go get more. It's, right, It's called risk homeostasis <laughs> yeah. or risk compensation or right. the Peltzman effect. And that's okay because your job is not to eliminate risk. It's to eliminate unwise risk. There we go. taking risk there that we is go. endangering the business for no value, we want rid of that because we want the business to go take risks that produce value. Yeah, that's it. Right? That's it. And again, the business wouldn't exist if it wasn't for willful risk. Yeah. So, so your whole job is to untangle the willful from the scrappy risk. and let's So think about all the things the business might do tomorrow that scare you and put in controls to make those safer and then encourage the business to go do that. Right. Like, oh, it, you want to go on an acquisition spree? We have a way to make mergers and acquisitions safe. Best, right. best security thing I ever did when I was at Akamai. And it's, I think I did a lot of great security things, but this is the single best one because I held this line even during tough economic times. Every acquisition, we threw away all of the IT infrastructure of the company we acquired. On day one, we shipped everybody a laptop that was already pre-configured with their the Akamai image. Yeah. And we said, no, no, your old laptop, you can keep while you're transitioning everything over. And then we will take them and we will wipe them and we'll do something with them. Half the time we went and, you know, shipped them off to some second reseller. But what it meant was we could do acquisitions and not increase the long-term IT burden because we only had one IT infrastructure as a yeah. company. No, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna interject here with one moment of, you know, I, I think we've all of us gotten to a point of where we're saying risk isn't measured in dollars and we're okay with that. All three yep. of us have declared we're okay with that. And yet when you talk about the MA proposal specifically, I have always found that being the forward observer as the CISO in an MA context reduces the purchase price of the yes. company you are oh, yeah. acquiring. Absolutely. So there is a definite Absolutely. dollar value to the risk in that There's a scenario. bunch of places you add you add dollar value to your oh, business, yeah. whether it's there, oh, whether it's yeah. in an insurance thing, et cetera. Yeah. But, and that's where you're using dollars as a tool mm -hmm. in a tactical mm. situation. Yes, that's fair. That's fair. All right, well, guys, this is, you know, I got to say something to everybody who's listening, fans of the show and folks here in the room at CISOXC. I started this podcast Two years ago now, right? Chris, it's been two years. I think my 100th episode is coming up in just a couple of weeks. Whoa. Um, I started this show as a way of giving back. That was the goal. Let's give back. Let's get some of the smartest ideas in the room. Let's share those out for everyone else to hear who might not be lucky enough to be in the room with the smartest idea at the time. And I found that I was getting really good guests. That'd be Andy and Chris right here as absolute examples of really good guests. I have learned so much myself from doing this. My single biggest piece of advice to anybody who feels like they're getting value from this show is go start your own. I'm telling you, you will learn so much. 
totally kicks ass. Thank you, but it's gentlemen. a lot of work. Andy, Chris, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>